Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Shooting Through with Cheryl Ryan from 123 Travel. Located right in the heart of Budrum on the Sunshine Coast in Australia, just minutes away from the beach. As a local resident and owner of 123 Travel, I've been blessed with travelling all over the world to some incredible destinations. So wherever you are, relax and let me take you on a journey. Welcome to Shooting Through. I'm Cheryl Ryan and your host for this week's show. We are heading off to Kolkata, the cultural hub of India, located in the northern part of India in West Bengal. Kolkata, as many of you may know, it was, it's a British name, its British name was Calcutta. And uh, so you may be wondering why I'm calling it Kolkata. Uh, It's a wonderful city uh, with a rich colonial history, but the British seem to struggle with Indian names. And uh, today it is more well known by its Indian name of Kolkata, which I prefer to use as well. So arriving in Kolkata, um, it can feel a little like a visit to a crumbling city but it's, it's certainly full of magic and once you start exploring it, as I discovered, it's got a lot on offer. The city is often a starting point for many people who are perhaps going on a cruise up the Ganges and heading around to Varanasi or perhaps heading up north to Nagaland where the annual Hornbill Festival is held each December. Uh, they may be going up to Darjeeling. So there's a, it's a lot of tourists coming there. They don't stay too long in Kolkata. They tend to use it a bit of a a starting point for somewhere else, perhaps. But one of my very first thoughts when I think of Kolkata is of food and, uh, in particular, the desserts. Amazing desserts and some of India's best, I would say. Two of my favourites are the sandish, a sweet, moist fudge made with fresh paneer cheese, and um, the other is called mishti doi. Uh, This is a reduced milk dessert and it's mixed with uh, caramelised jaggery sugar and then mixed with curd and it's set into small pottery cups and it's very rich and extremely delicious. So we're going to plan a bit of an itinerary for Kolkata. I would suggest probably having at least three days to see all the main sites and and this will allow you to do it in a bit of a relaxed manner as well and you may even like to add on another couple of days if um, you've got the time. There's a variety of accommodation choices in Kolkata and I tried out several um, to get an idea where I thought the best spot to be located was. For somewhere central, the Oberoi Grand Hotel in the heart of the city is a great choice at a five-star level. I love this hotel as you walk out the front entrance and you're deep in the markets and the shopping and then from here everything's close and it can be great for walking and people watching. It's often referred to as the Great Dame of Chowringi as it has become one of the icons of the Kolkata landscape over time. My other choice, and we're certainly looking at more the luxury end of things, is uh, Glenburn Penthouse and it's a beautiful boutique hotel. It's located again right in the middle of the city and it sits atop of the high-rise building. The views are spectacular of the city and the river, which you can enjoy from the infinity pool, balcony or its courtyard. It has nine spacious suites only and all are very individually decorated. It's a very intimate experience and it overflows with elegance. It's a great little spot to stay as a small group of ladies perhaps. I always think that could be a one of those lovely spots to stay at. So I popped in for a visit, an afternoon tea with owner Hasnatara Prakash, who's just the most loveliest host. 
Her love of the city is evident and as I chatted away with her, she explained she can offer you some great ideas for tours on cooking classes, textiles, cultural walks and it's a wonderful place to stay if you're looking for a very unique experience. So let's kick off um, on some of the main spots to visit during a stay in Kolkata. I paid a visit to the, it's called the Kamartali area, where local artisans make pottery deities and idols for local festivals. And they're also sold all over India, with some even being exported internationally. The potters use this mix of clay, sand and straw to create life-size deities. The construction is done completely by hand and then once they dry, they're not put in a kiln or anything, they're just left to dry, they're painted in an array of bright colours. And they're used in festivals, weddings, all sorts of things, but once they've actually finished with them, they actually return them to the Ganges where they break down and become part of the next collection to be made. The artisans operate in in one area of multiple alleys, um, each with its own stall. So some focus on smaller pieces and others on larger ones. And they're happy to have you sit along and watch them. You can video them, photo- photograph them if you like. They, they're very uh, friendly and uh, they certainly embrace the tourists. Uh, the area is open all day, uh, so you can pop along any time. You probably need a couple of hours there to really enjoy each of the different stalls though. So my next stop was the flower market, which sells flowers to all over India. Flowers are used daily in, uh, in India for prayers, for weddings, festivals and in hotels, so the demand for them is very, very high. If you're going to visit the market, it's best done early in the morning, so you get to see number one, the variety, the colour and uh, the activity of the sellers and buyers is very interesting. Another favourite spot of mine when you're in Kolkata is College Street, or it's better known as Book Street. It's a whole street of books, and it's like a dream come true for any book lover. Everything from old to vintage can be found there, adults, children's books, comics, classics, and you will find English books along with some other languages as well. And it's probably one of the easiest places to dwindle away several hours if you're a bookworm like me, browsing this never-ending collection. It's the second uh, largest of its kind in the world, and it's a great place to pick yourself up a good read. Once you've found your book, then close by and very handy, you can head just around the corner to the very famous and well-known Indian Coffee House. And you'll get a great cuppa there, and you can sit and read your book. On the topic of food, a must visit is the Toretti Market. It's an exceptional for its street food and it's tucked away and you may need to get some directions to find it. But once you do, it is a bustling lively lively spot and one of the best Indian treasures for foodies. Well known for its Chinese dishes, it offers great opportunities to just roam from stall to stall exploring all the different delicacies. And it's open usually from about 6am in the morning until 9pm at night. So there's plenty of opportunity in time-wise to fit that into the itinerary. So to get a real understanding of the local food in Kolkata, I'd recommend doing a Kolkata street food tour. And this will give you a much deeper understanding of the dishes and the history surrounding the area. In the late afternoon, and if you're keen to do some shopping, then head off to Newmarket where you'll find around 2,000 shops with a wide range of items being sold. Plenty of music, entertainment to be found here as well. And to finish off the day, head up to the rooftop bar at Blue and Beyond for drinks and a great view over the river. 
So no visit to Kolkata would be complete without a visit to Mother Teresa's house. This was definitely at the top of my list to visit when I was there and it's considered perhaps more of a pilgrimage rather than a tourist destination. The house is very holy and, and a very serene place to visit and it's located within the Missionaries of Charity. Thousands of tourists visit the house annually from all around the world. The house was founded in 1950 with a single purpose of selfless service towards the underprivileged and the poorest of the poor. A small museum houses the minimal belongings of Mother Teresa and it is also the final resting place as she was buried in the tomb inside the house. You'll find people gathering to offer prayers here and doing meditation. You will go up a small set of stairs and you can see Mother Teresa's humble room where she lived for nearly 50 years from 1953 to 1997. It consists just of a small bed, a small side table where she sat and did her writing, a small room decorated only with a thorn wreath and a cross. When you leave here, we'll move on to one of the finest architectural pieces in Kolkata and head off to see the Victoria Memorial, a piece of colonial grandeur made from white marble created as a memorial for Queen Victoria, the first Empress of British India. It was a very slow construction, taking about 15 years to complete, and it opened in 1921. And an interesting little bit of trivia is that the place where the memorial now stands was originally the site of the Presidency Jail, which was demolished to make way for this memorial. So once you're inside the memorial, there is around 30,000 treasured artefacts, rare photographs, paintings depicting the life of the Queen. The museum is quite massive and it has 25 separate galleries, so you need to allow ample time if you want to see this entire collection. Of course, if you're short on time, then a visit to the outside garden is a lovely walk. You can explore the many ponds, foundations and statues that are sprinkled across some 64 acres of land. So not quite a short little stroll. The statues are made up of British India dignitaries with the most popular of all the statues being the one of Queen Victoria seated on the throne wearing the Order of the Star of India the most photographed attraction in the garden. Lastly, you can always pop back in the evening to witness the light and sound show where the grounds are all illuminated and the story of Calcutta is told. So last but certainly not least, we need to visit the Marble Palace Mansion. It's located along a small lane and is home of the Raja Rajendra Maluk's home, or perhaps more suitably, I should say, Palatial House as it's more of a palace than a home. This is certainly one for all the architects out there, as it has been built in neoclassical style, and this is easily seen with the use of the Italian marble, using 26 different types, which were all picked out from various places of the country to make it an architectural elegance. That can also be debated. The main facade is built with tall fluted Corinthian columns, which opens into the court that is largely Bengali style. The fretwork of the veranda and the balconies are inspired by Chinese elements, and the sloping roofs are inspired by Chinese style pavilions. On entering the palace, you discover five halls, including the reception hall, the painting room, sculpture room, billiards room, and the Thakadalan room, which is used as a, pal as a place of worship. 
This is where things get very interesting as the collection inside the palace will transport you to the Victorian era with sculptures and furnishings, Belgian glassware and amazing paintings. There are originals from Morello, Reuben and Reynolds hanging on the walls. I was just amazed to see them when I walked through here. The music room, this was one of my favourite rooms with its lavish floor of marble inlay and statues of Napoleon and Wellington. However, the highlight and quirky decorations in the ballroom is the candle chandeliers and the silvered glass balls from a collection of 19th century disco balls that spread illumination of the chandeliers. It was all very a little bit odd actually. The palace overall houses around 76 rare artworks. They were bought in the 1830 all the way from Italy and Belgium, which makes it a, such a treasure trove to explore. Another interesting piece as, is the two-cornered hat that is said to have belonged to Napoleon Bonaparte, which he wore during his military campaigns. And I would certainly recommend visiting here. I wouldn't miss it. But the placement and architecture do seem rather random and odd without a great deal of thought going into where some of the pieces or themes were selected from. But it certainly makes for an interesting uh, place to drop by and have a look at. A couple of other architectural treasures you may want to visit when you're in Kolkata and if you've got the time is would be the Writers Building and the Governor's House. I will mention the um, Howrah Bridge on the Hooghly River as it's very unique given its design as a suspension bridge. It is 700 metres across and carries around 100,000 cars and 150,000 pedestrians every day. The design of the bridge means that there's no use of any nuts or bolts. It's the sixth longest bridge in the world of its type and it took around six years to complete in 1942. It's one of the most recognised landmarks in Kolkata and no doubt somewhere along the line you'll see it from a view somewhere. One of the last things you must do prior to departing Kolkata is to take a charming and leisurely tram ride. Yes, there's a tram in Kolkata. Make sure to jump on one for a timeless vintage ride through the great city and remember when you visit the city that you are witness to the pioneering of arts and drama, theatre and literature with several noble... Nobel laureates that have contributed to the culture of what is now Kolkata. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this week's visit to Kolkata with me and don't forget to join me next week as we venture down south to the home of Bollywood in Mumbai. That's all from me this week. Thanks for listening and remember, if you want to support the show, then share, subscribe and leave a review or comment. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at 123TravelBudrum and on Twitter at 123TravelAbout. You can also find all my episodes and loads of great travel information on my website at 123travel.com.au. I look forward to having you join me on the next episode of Shooting Through.